Thank you for being here this morning. He says, I encourage you to come along to all of the stuff we do there, uh, but Tuesday night will be a special night. Uh, Pastor Charles, or Charlie as we call him, uh, he's over for a week in Northern Ireland ministering, and, uh, and so the opportunity to come here, uh, and uh, as, as Rick said, he says, I was at Bible college with him, uh, he was my spiritual friend. He's a really spiritual guy, like so. So there were four of us uh, very close at Bible College, and uh, we all came out. One, one fellow, four, Paul, became a Church of England minister. Uh, Johnny Redmond is a pastor at Carrick Elim. I'm here. And then uh, Charlie is a pastor of Combator Assemblies of God Church in India. And so they do three services on a Sunday. His first service on a Sunday morning starts at 6.30 in the morning. I just feel the Lord just saying something to me now. <laughs> just, as, just as he's here on Tuesday night. And we would do that. So I encourage you to come along to all the stuff there. We're, we're continuing on with our series through Matthew. Because we spoke last week about the, the, the chapter being the pivotal, chapter 12 being the pivotal turn in Jesus' ministry. And, and in chapter 13, as we're looking at today, uh, Jesus changes the way he speaks by introducing parables as a way to get his message across. Jesus was the, the perfect teacher because he, he wanted people, uh, those who had ears to hear, he wanted them to understand what he was saying. I mean, that's the job of a teacher, isn't it? Uh, to, to help their listeners understand what it is that's being taught and understood what is being said. And so Jesus now begins to speak in parables. And just to give you, by way of introduction, parables were earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Stories from everyday life to illustrate spiritual truths. And their purpose was to make those spiritual truths clearer to hearers. Uh, and no matter what our background is, we would have heard of many parables that there is. Jesus spoke 40 parables uh, in the Gospels, and, and he would have used different things and talked about, you know, the field, sowing, and he would have talked about treasure, and he would have talked about uh, fish, he would have talked about lots of other things and stuff, so that people could understand what it is uh, that he was saying. But there were earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, uh, illustrative, so they could understand. And the idea behind the word parable is to throw alongside of, which is what it means. It's a story thrown alongside the truth intended to teach. Jesus wanted to teach the truth. And Matthew 13, verse 34, by way of introduction here, says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. That after this point in Matthew 13, everything he spoke was in a parable. And that switch was so dramatic that actually the disciples were even caught by surprise themselves because in verse 10 that we'll read today, they asked the question, why do you speak to people in parables, in these stories? And we're going to look at this today to help us because one of the main reasons is this is selectively revealing truth to those who have faith while withholding it from those who didn't. We've spoken a lot about the Pharisees so far. They are completely deaf to anything that Jesus is saying. They can hear him, but they're not listening. They have no interest in anything that he has to say. They don't believe that he is the Messiah. They don't believe that he is the one, the chosen one that has to come. And so they can hear 
but they're just not listening. They're not interested in anything that he has to say. So now Jesus changes his approach uh, to speak in parables for the other reason, to keep the truth beyond their reach. So basically only those with hearing ears, those who want to listen, will understand what Jesus has to say. And we see in the first 13 verses of Matthew 13, this passage, it says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. So we see in the context of this passage that Jesus is preaching to the crowds again. Uh, and had he remained on land, the crowd would have pressed him for healing and prevented him from teaching. It was Spurgeon who said this, he says, the teacher sat as he taught and the people stood. We would have less sleeping in church if that was the arrangement we had today, wouldn't we? If I sat down and you all stood up. One, you would keep your attention for a start the whole time. And two, the sermons would probably be shorter as well. But this is what happens here. It says, because the main reason is as much as uh, the Lord Jesus has a desire to heal people's bodies, it's their souls he's really concerned in. It's really their souls that they're really far more concerned in. And there is a theme here that runs through. Matthew's already written about it, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told 40 parables, 19 of them were to do with the kingdom. He had a point to his parables, to every story that he told, there was a point. And he refers to the kingdom, as I say, in 19 of them. We already have seen in Matthew, as we've worked our way through this book, that both Jesus and John the Baptist preached a message of repentance for the kingdom of God is near. We see the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew 6, we're instructed, commanded in a sense, we are told to seek first his kingdom. Matthew 9 tells us, Jesus went through the towns and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then finally, many, many parables began with the kingdom of heaven is like. So there is a theme here that's already been picked up on, that Jesus has been preaching about in the previous chapters, and he now comes to this chapter as he begins his parables, and there is a theme there. There is a phrase, the kingdom of God, it occurs 68 times, 10 different New Testament books. Kingdom of heaven only occurs 32 times. 
but it's only in the Gospel of Matthew. But they both mean the same. Sometimes there's some confusion with people. They'll turn around and say, oh, they're two different things. That They're not. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same. Mark and Luke use the kingdom of God, where Matthew used the kingdom of heaven frequently in the same stories that they're illustrating. Uh, and so just by way uh, of just as we move through this, because the parables as we look at these over the next few weeks, because so many of them are concerned with the kingdom, we really need to understand what the kingdom is all about. So the first thing we have to say is this. The kingdom of God is the rule of eternal sovereign God over all the universe. There is no place, and I've shared this before, that when people say, and often at times when people, uh, and I remember being challenged by this a few years ago when somebody was going through a very difficult time and they asked the question of where God is. And I remember responding, not because of great wisdom or that, but I responded, well, let me answer it this way. Where isn't God? I mean, he's everywhere, isn't he? He said, if the farthest point that we go, you know, in space, he says, God is there. He says he's so up close and personal, he's there, but he's also in here as well. Uh, and so that's the idea uh, of the eternal sovereign God over all the universe. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel 4 verse 3 says this, it says, His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. It may look, when we look at the world today, that God is not in control, he has no authority over the world. That is simply not true. It, 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 everything is under his rule. There is nothing happens that he doesn't know about. He's not caught off guard by anything. He's not caught surprised by anything. There is nothing that goes on in our life that simply looks at, oh, does he know about that? He knows it all. This is the idea of sovereignty in his kingdom that we're speaking about here. But then there is a New Testament thought with it as well that exists. The kingdom of God is a spiritual rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority, that acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts. They are part of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is not necessarily a place where we live in. It's something that has happened to us. It's something that has happened to us within here. Uh, and so it's speaking of the heart. Paul writes this in Romans 14 verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, where does that happen? Well, well that's an internal thing, isn't it? It has to be an internal thing. It has to be something, where is the righteousness that we experience? It's an internal thing. We're made right with Christ. This is what we've done this morning when we've come to the table. Where do we get peace? Well, we get peace internally. It's not, no matter what's going on around us, the turmoil, uh, the storms that we may be in and stuff, we can still have an inner peace. Where is the joy? The joy is not what happens to us around us in the circumstances. It's an internal thing. So it's that spiritual rule over our hearts and our lives because we're willingly submitted to God's authority that acknowledge the Lordship of Christ, gladly surrender to God's rule in their hearts 
part of the kingdom of God. But those who defy God's authority, refuse to submit to him, are not part of the kingdom of God. You can either be in or you can be out. You can't be halfway. You can't sit in the middle. It says you're either in or you're either out. So if you defy that authority and don't submit to him, you're not part of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees thought they were part of the kingdom of God. They thought they were the chosen ones, God's chosen people to lead the people, the ones that, that, that they thought that they had heard from God. But simply they just refused to submit to the authority that Jesus had bore as he was speaking. And this is why there's a turn here. I mean, when Jesus comes before uh, Pilate in John 18, verse 36, he, he said his kingdom was not of this world. He says he preached that repentance is necessary to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says in John 3 that the kingdom of God must be entered into by being born again. So there is an entrance for us. There is a condition for entrance. It's not, it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. The entrance is by being born again. But a kingdom has to involve at least three things. And the first one is this. If you're in the kingdom, you have to have a king who rules. A, a king rules over a kingdom, over a place, the place for us is the hearts, our lives, that spiritual rule that the King Jesus has over our lives. That leads us to the second thing that we have. We have subjects who are ruled. For a king to rule in our life, we submit to his authority. We have surrendered our life to him. We submit to his authority. We are the subjects that are ruled by him. In the sense of when we read scripture, when, when, when we're convicted and led by the Holy Spirit, we choose to live that way. We go that way because we understand we are the subjects who are to be ruled in a sense. Not in a sense of, you know, oh, you must do this, I'm telling you to do this. But actually as we read scripture and we see that there is a different way of living because we now have submitted to the king in his kingdom. He's a king who rules over us. And in living that way, we see the third thing that happens in a kingdom, which is the exercise of the function of rulership. We choose, it's not just about saying, oh, we have submitted to his authority and surrendered to, we've surrendered our lives to him. The evidence of that is seen in our daily walk. The evidence of that is seen in the, by the choices we make, the direction that we take, and the things that we do. So we can't turn around and say, in a sense, yes, I, I submit to the king in his kingdom and I'm quite happy to be ruled, but I don't want to do anything that he says. He says, actually, those three conditions are all equal. Those three conditions are all there for our benefit. There is a king who rules, his name is Jesus. We are ruled by him for we are his subjects, his children, the ones that follow him. The exercise of that function is living daily, day by day, in, in the ways that we live our life. And you see, we get into difficulties and trouble sometimes because people defy that authority. They refuse to submit to him. Or they say there's parts of their life that they don't want to surrender to him. And as Jesus shares these parables, as we're going to look at over these next few weeks, he's talking about the cost of the kingdom 
that he's bringing his kingdom and there is a cost for those who want to live in that kingdom. Throughout the New Testament, we see the word kingdom consistently refers to the rule of Christ in the hearts of believers. The problem with the Pharisees all the time was an issue of heart, that their hearts were just wrong. It didn't matter the words that they said, it didn't matter the actions that they did. It said what was always wrong was the heart. For us today, it says it's the same, isn't it? It says it's our heart motive all the time, isn't it? It's why we do some of the things that we do. It says because the heart is always the issue. And that's why the word kingdom consistently refers to the rule of Christ in the hearts of believers that expresses itself in our lives. You see, the problem with the Jews here, the Pharisees, they were awaiting a different kingdom. They were awaiting a Jesus, a Messiah, who, who was going to come and get rid of the Romans, destroy the empire. They were waiting almost for this dynamic uh, uh, apocalyptic kingdom, which could not be resisted and would entirely destroy evil. But the problem is they had missed a major point. They had overlooked Jesus as the Messiah. And they had committed that unforgivable sin by not accepting him as, as a Messiah. And so at this point, they had lost the opportunity to understand the kingdom, which is why Jesus now spoke to them uh, in parables. Because the kingdom now becomes something that is both present and prospective, which means it's something that is here and now, but it is something in the future as well. The message of the kingdom is two-edged, and relates to two frames of time. You see, we know because we believe it, we have experienced it, that God sent Christ to recover his relationship with man and his rule over man. From the fall through the Old Testament, the king has arrived to start bringing about the kingdom, which means that has already happened. It says we are here because that has happened. We have experienced that change in our life because that part of the kingdom has already happened because the king arrived and he went to the cross for us and he died on the cross for us for he loved us. Uh, but in loving us he paid the price for our sin. And so that part has already happened. That is the present part. And so that's the personal part but the partial part which simply means this. That there is a part of it that has happened, but it's the personal part that we can experience. Because the advantage of following Jesus Christ, and we talk about this all the time, is that it's a personal relationship that we have with him. When the door was opened for us to be forgiven, it says God was only interested in what we were doing as individuals. It's a personal decision. It doesn't matter what our parents did. It didn't matter what the members of our family did, what the person sitting next to you did. It's such a personal thing that has happened to us. That's the joy of it. That's the gift of it. That individually for you and me, our sins are forgiven. Collectively all on the cross but individually everything that I have done. And so that's the release of it, both partially and personally. But then we see the second part of it, which is the kingdom will be realised finally and conclusively at the return of Christ and by his reign over all the earth. 
And so that has to happen, yeah. We are at an advantage. We know it's going to happen. And people say, well, how do... Well, we, we've read the end of the book. You know, it, it, we know... What, it's like reading a, a you know, a, 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 a thriller novel and skipping all the pages, in a sense, to find out who did it at the end. I mean, if you did that with the Bible, you would just find out at the end, uh, hey, God wins. He says it finished the final battle. He says he won it on the cross, but the final conclusive of everything coming together is what happens right at the end. He says and that's the final conclusive bit, which is the return of Christ and his reign over all the earth. And that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and so that mission is marked by the fulfilment of God's long-awaited promise that he, through Christ, would assume full rulership of earth and those created in his image, which has happened partially, but then will happen fully then. So this kingdom now carries the idea of the Son of God coming into the world to assert his power, glory, and rights against Satan's dominion. We still live with evil all around us, don't we? I mean, we don't have to go very far from the doors of this church to, to know that there is evil or disobedience or stuff going on that is ruining people's lives that is against God. So we have to understand that that's the partial bit that Jesus Christ has done. And those who submit to his authority, surrender their lives to him, they're the ones that experience the victory in a sense now. It says not just at the end, we don't have to wait to the end for that, we can experience it now. But listen, our work will be oppressed by the enemy at every turn. So his disciples must be prepared to suffer in the course of their work. If you want to experience that oppression or opposition that the enemy sometimes does, listen, do this, try, try and begin to do something for God. Try and open the doors of your life to serving him somewhere. Uh, try and go and telling people about Jesus. Suddenly you will find there will be opposition. There will be oppression that will come in many different ways. Because that's the world that we live in, isn't it? It says we're not very welcomed as Christians in many places. Because of the world that we live in now. So what we have to understand is this. Is what we experience of his triumph in part now will be shown fully and completely when he comes again. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, 25 says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. There is the partial and the present, but there also is the finally and the conclusively, as you read that and understand that in those verses. In Revelation 11 and verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There we see both partially and present, but there's the final and conclusive of what happens at the end. You know, so much of our faith is tied to what happens finally, that what happens further down the line. We live our lives knowing that when our lives end, it says we know where we're going to go, we know what we're going to experience, we know what is going to happen because we read of it in the Word. Uh, and so we see this complete view of the kingdom helps us to understand this. 
for our understanding and applying the principles of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, we cannot expect now what will only happen then, and we cannot expect then for what will only happen now. And so that's the bit, that's the point really of this morning when we talk about the kingdom. We have received it both personally at the moment and partially. But there is a final and conclusively of what we will get in the end. The Apostle Paul understands this in one final verse when he says this. He says, he says therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What, what, a, what a verse of confidence and hope that we have when we think of that today. It says no matter what is going on, and Paul was going through some rough stuff. He said a light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs Anything that's happening here, that gives us a confidence and our hope today. It says that gives us a confidence. You know, if you came into church this morning and, and you know, this week has been terrible, the, 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 every problem in the world has come upon you, you feel like giving up and quitting, but this is the verse for you today. Because this actually tells us, hey, everything that we're going through now, actually we may feel as though we're wasting away, we may feel as though it took us longer to get out of bed this morning because we're getting a bit older. But it says to us, actually inside, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, those things that really are only temporary, they're really, they're, they're temporary compared to the eternal glory that waits for us in his kingdom the final and conclusive bit uh, and we take hope on that because we see on we focus not on what is seen but on what is unseen not what is temporary which is everything that's happening now but that which is permanent and eternal and you see this is what happens as Jesus speaks about the kingdom here as it laid that foundation and groundwork here See, this was not a call for all to listen. Rather, it was a call for those who were spiritually sensitive. There's a choice between those who didn't want to listen and those who wanted to listen. How many times do we say to people when we're speaking to them, we've got kids, you're not listening. Even though the words are out there, even though they've got ears, you're not listening. Or somebody says to you after they've said something, they try and catch you out. They say, what did I just say? And you're like, well, I have to make this up here. I have a great excuse. I could just, oh, sorry, hearing. But that's what we do, isn't it? And Jesus uses this example here because he's saying this. This is a call for those who are spiritually sensitive. He had a message. It was not for the Pharisees and the religious teachers anymore. They did not accept him, who he was for the Messiah. It was for the other people who wanted to listen. And so Jesus explains the purpose of the parables. You see, there is a need still today for those kingdom people to have hearing ears, to understand the breadth of the kingdom's expansion and the cost of the kingdom acquisition. 
to listen to what God is saying. That's all this is about here. It's about listening to what God is saying. Some people had switched off, said, we're not listening anymore. He, he has nothing to say to us. We're rejecting him. As a matter of fact, we're at the end of that verse that we looked at last week. At that point, they plotted how to destroy Jesus. That was their intention. They were not listening. We want to be people who listen to what God is saying. That we're not just hearing him, but we're listening to him. And then putting what he says into practice. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the challenge of your word. Father, we can look around us and lose hope. We look and look around us and doubt, Father God, uh, your authority or your rule matters when we see so much sin prevailing, when we see so much going on that ruins and destroys people's lives. But Father, when we read what we read this morning, we hold on to an encouragement, to a hope and assurance that we can have through your word. That, that your kingdom does rule and it rules in our hearts as we submit to your authority as we surrender our lives to you as we not just hear the words that you have to say to us but we listen to them and we put them into practice as well and father we just thank you for that today and for those that are in here today father who are struggling for those father who, who are finding the challenges of life and wondering how this relates to them made those words of the apostle Paul to the Corinthians when he said listen these are light and momentary troubles that these are things when we measure them against what you are doing on the inside of us renewing us day by day that even though outside we're wasting away that inwardly you are doing a work that far outweighs anything that we are facing that is preparing for us an eternal glory in you and father we thank you for those words of hope and those words of comfort today in jesus name